The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hey, go ahead and take a seat. As we get started tonight, I just want to emphasize winter retreat. Before I do that, I should probably introduce myself. I saw a few hands of people that are here for the very first time. My name is Ryan, last name Church. Some of my friends call me the R. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm so glad that you have braved the snow and have made it here tonight to join us. Uh, I do want to highlight, though, the winter retreat uh, in two weekends. Two things about that that you need to know. Two things. First, if you uh, have not had a chance to get connected to this community in a deeper way, winter retreat is a great time to do that. Uh, this is a community that I am positive there is something for everyone that is here. And uh, this is an opportunity for you to get to know some of these people and invest in this community. And I promise to you that if you uh, invest in this place, we will invest back in you. That's a a promise that uh, from me uh, to you. And the winter retreat is a great place to start that. Uh, Second, I do not know of a better communicator in this country about uh, as someone who communicates about what it means to live from the central ethic of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that, that being love, and a radical love that defines the kingdom of God, Greg Boyd is just phenomenal on this. And that is what he is, is going to be sharing with us uh, in just two weeks. If it, it, it will be a weekend that you will not forget. I know that that you hear a lot of voices and a lot of speakers in your life. This is one that uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, um, I would bet you will remember for a long, long time. This is an opportunity uh, that I would encourage you not uh, to skip on. Come and join us, not to mention as the video communicated. uh, We have a blast down there. It's just a great time. So come and join us. Okay. We are going to uh, continue in our little three-week mini-series here uh, as we move on towards the the end of Revelation at looking at some of these things that the church is most uh, perhaps dubiously known for. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about about judgment. Uh, It's a word that you often hear associated with the church or with Christians. And and we tried to to take a look last week at at judgment in in a redemptive way. And and I challenged us as a community to uh, ask the question, what would it look like for us to replace our impulse to judge with an impulse to bless? What would happen to our communities and to our our world if we did that? Next week, we get to hear from one of our interns, Chris Sherman, and he is going to be talking about the final victory of Jesus Christ, the best news of it all, a new heaven and a new earth, everything fulfilled and redeemed, uh, the things that, that we have to look forward to that we can taste even now in eternity. Chris is going to give you a great vision of that next week. You are definitely not going to want to miss that, especially as we inch ever closer to midterms. But tonight... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about hell. Oh, great. I'm sure glad I came to the end tonight. 
Uh, we need to deal with hell because it is in the Bible. It is a reality. It is here towards the end of, of Revelation and why, uh, as one of the leaders in this community, I always want us to err on the side of talking about grace. The, mo- the greatest truth of all is the grace and love that is of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. And we're going to spend a lot more time throughout any year here at University of Ministries talking about that. But sometimes for the good news to be heard as loudly as it can and as clear as it can, as we've said before, we've got to share the downside as well. And so tonight we are going to talk about hell. As we talk about that, you probably have a bunch of images that come into your mind about what is hell? What is it like? I know that, that some of my first uh, uh, perceptions of hell were shaped in a rather humorous way by a guy named Gary Larson who wrote this great series of comics called, or drew this great series of comics called The Far Side. We, I have some of them to show you. He had, uh, the thing about, that you need to know about Gary Larson is that He's actually uh, a wazoo cougar, so he has a really good idea what hell would be like. Okay? <laughs> so, so this caption here, you got a couple of devils standing by, and you have somebody that's whistling as he's doing his work in, the, in this inferno, and they're saying, you know, we're just not reaching this guy. Because, of course, hell should be a place that is where there's a punishment, and this guy's just enjoying himself way too much. Next one. Next one. This is probably my favorite. You know, well, I'll be. I must have been holding the dang work order like this. Of course, the number of the beast is 666. And this uh, guy that is supposed to paint the address on the gates of hell got it wrong. Devil's not too excited about that. Next one. Uh, how about this? Three more, two more, one more. Okay, five million leg lifts. Right leg first. The aerobics in hell, the workout that never ends. Uh, perhaps these are the types of things that you think of when you think about what in the world is hell, what is it like anyway? That last picture, it, it brings to mind, I know one of, one of the things I think of actually is shaped by mythology, the Greek mythological figure Sisyphus that some of you might be uh, familiar with, that, who is damned to roll this rock up a hill. And right as he gets this rock up to the hill, it always rolls back down to the bottom and he has to go back and start over and over again. What is your perception of hell where does it come from how does it impact you does it scare you does it motivate you what does it do to you well tonight we want to take a look at what does what does the bible say about hell what does the end of revelation what's the picture that it paints for us what do we need to know about hell and is there any way For us to understand the grace of God more. If there is such thing as this reality. Of the existence of hell. Now as we get started. I think that that one of the more compelling images. That I can think of. Of of this idea of hell. uh, A contemporary idea. Comes from something that, that happened in my lifetime, um, and in Janie's lifetime, and that is the eruption of Mount St. Helens. May 18th, 1980, uh, about 8.32 a.m., this, this beautiful mountain down near Vancouver, Washington, near where Alan Grove uh, grew up, 
Beautiful Sunday morning, and this mountain blows its top. Spectacular, spectacular eruption and, and kind of geological phenomenon. And if you want to know more about that, our very own Janie Stewart worked at the Mount St. Helens Visitor Center. She's also a cartographer. She is Mrs. Mount St. Helens. She is the expert. Makes me wonder why, why she's not uh, up here tonight, but... Uh, be sure to ask her about Mount St. Helens after this. But what I want to show you here uh, before we get into our text tonight is this video of a guy who, who went down to the mountain um, on May 18th, 1980, and was in proximity with a video camera when the mountain blew. Let's, let's take a look at this because I think this shows us just a, an amazing picture of hell on earth. Movie action cloud. He turns on the camera. We can cut it off there. My God, this is hell. It's dark. It's indescribable. Indescribable. It hurts to breathe. This is hell. All you can see is one little light on the horizon. Everything else is being destroyed. It's dark. There's something that's chilling as we watch somebody that seems to be breathing for their life. Somebody that thinks they are dead. Somebody who the best they can do is to say, it's indescribable, but I think this is hell. And at the end, it didn't come through clear here. He says, he says I have to change my attitude. I have to have something to tell my grandkids. What I want us to do tonight is to, is to grasp and to engage the reality of hell. Hell is real and it's as real as the evil that you see, that you experience, that you hear about in the world that we live in. But hear this. Hell is not where God wants you to be. And in fact, hell is actually a sign. 
Hell is actually a sign that God cares deeply, deeply about you. God is not indifferent. God is not apathetic. God cares deeply. Let's pray as we dive into this tonight. Uh, Lord, um, this is, uh, hell is scary. Um, we're confused by it. And, and so, uh, Lord, would, would you uh, meet us tonight? As we in, engage this, uh, this mystery, um, Lord, may we know you more uh, because we've done it. That's, that's our prayer. So be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's, let's uh, see if we can pull this out of comic strips and volcanoes and see what, uh, see what Scripture says about this. Okay. Uh, we're going to take a look here at Revelation 20 beginning at verse 11. It says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and everyone was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. All whose names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. All right, let's, let's talk about this. Let's do the best that we can in engaging this. First, we're, I, I just want to unpack this uh, a, little, a, a little bit to say, uh, you know, as if to, to say, what is the Bible telling us here about this reality? Then I want to I take a step back and, and say, here are some things that on this night I think you need to know. And it's not going to be exhaustive, but a few things that I want you to hear uh, tonight and then uh, it just seems appropriate that on a night when we would talk um, about hell that we come uh, to this table because this table shows us that hell is defeated, that hell has no power. So know that we're, we're going to end up in a good place, uh, but, but we're going to end up, we're, we have to start with uh, perhaps a, a very scary place uh, before we get there. Okay, first, what does scripture tell us about hell? First, it is a reality. Okay, it is right here in Scripture, and this is, as we've said before, uh, this is one of many, many references in Scripture. The, the Old Testament refers to uh, the pit. It refers to Gehenna. It refers to Sheol. Uh, this is uh, just a continuation of something else that has been talked about. And so if we are going to say, even those that are looking for the grace of God, that believe in the grace of God... Hell is a reality if we are going to trust what the Bible says about it, okay? Now, it is a reality as a place of judgment. 
This text that we just read makes that very clear, that we see once again this, this throne. Seventh time in Revelation that we've seen this throne, and we see Jesus sitting on it. Jesus is God and is the one who is judge. And as we are told in this text, as things are, are, are being sorted out here, there is a place of judgment. Okay, based on these books, and this place is a lake of fire. Okay, so, so when we talk about it, it is a reality, it is a reality as a place of judgment, and then we see these words about fire. Now, fire, again, something that you see throughout the Bible. Fire is not always a bad thing, for example. Fire, uh, the burning bush, for example, it was God showing up to Moses. And when we see fire, we can see it as a type of, of special uh, revelation of God showing himself in a, in a really unique way. Often when we see fire, especially in reference to the Holy Spirit, it means purity. And now we're starting to inch closer of, of what, we, what we see in God's judgment as trying to uh, perhaps purify that which is being judged. But we can't miss... Again, I told you this would be a bit scary, that it also is a sign of punishment. Fire is a symbol of punishment. Now, this is, this is something that when we talk about hell, even those who, who don't necessarily even believe in hell, understand hell as a type of, of punishment. Or unpleasantness, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time. We talk about how we just had the test from hell. We talk about, you know, how uh, we might have the, the trip from hell. You know, we might have this or that from hell. I, I've, I certainly have experienced this. You know, I, I, when I think about my trip from hell, for example, as I've, I've shared uh, with some of you before, I used to work covering college football games for ESPN TV. And this around this time of year, I would often have... Uh, for the most part, the joy of going to cover bowl games around the country. And one year, I, it was on New Year's Eve, and I was covering the Liberty Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was a day game, so my, my plan was, after the game, to hop on a plane and try and... and it, it was an itinerary that would get me back here on the West Coast just before midnight, and I'd be able to ring in the New Year with all my friends. Well, you know, of course, I get to the airport, and my flight's delayed. Okay, that's inevitable. Well, then when I go to the airport where I was going to connect, I'm, I'm in the, the terminal there, and there is a screaming baby there, and I'm just, I'm sitting there going, I know they're going to be right next to me. I mean, it is just an absolute layup, okay? And sure enough, I get on the plane, and they're in the aisle, um, they're in the aisle right next to me. Well, right behind me was, uh, this, this man who had the most had the most magnificent snore I have ever heard. I mean, it was, I'm sure they heard it in the back of the plane. I mean, it was a full-on, like, snort, um, unmuffled kind of, I I mean, it was, uh, it was spectacular. To the point of, of all you could really do was laugh about it. Well, this flight is, is delayed and, and, uh, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a middle seat, the, and the woman in the window seat, Really, really, really nice woman, for sure. Strikes up a conversation. I really didn't want to talk. But she strikes up a conversation, you know, and I engage it kind of being nice. But all the while, I'm just thinking, man, let me do my thing. Let me read. Let me have my own space. Well, 
We're in the air. We're about an hour from Seattle. A lot of people are sleeping. The snore bear is right behind me. The baby's crying. I'm, I'm just kind of laughing at this point. At which point, this, the captain comes on and says, Hey, everybody, Happy New Year. It's, it's uh, now New Year's in Seattle. I'm like, great, great. This, this, was, this is awesome. And he gets off the intercom. And, and uh, this, you know, again, this, this nice woman, nice woman, but, uh, you know, she just wasn't my type. And she just, she turns to me and says, You want a kiss? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the plane flight from hell. <laughs> we all, we throw it around, don't we? It's unpleasant. It's not what you want. It somehow compromises your own existence. Now, that's a trite example, to be sure. But there's also plenty of us in, in this room that could also identify with the fact that I've experienced a deeper hell. That thing that hurts, that thing that, that gives me a, a taste of, of what this fire might be like. Friends, my memory begins. My memory begins with the night that my parents got divorced, the night that my parents separated. I was four years old. And there's this, this memory in, in my head about my family breaking about my the, the existence that I had known even as a child that I really didn't know that there was something about that moment that I knew that things would never be the same again it's a memory that continues to be a type of hell for me and I know it, it's a memory that's familiar for a lot of people in this room that have brokenness and chaos in their families that have experienced a type of of hell right there. That's one of the images that we get in fire. Of course it's unpleasant. Hell seems to take and take and take. And it never seems to be satisfied. Hell keeps wanting more and more and more. And we find ourselves on that treadmill as well. That's a place where we would, where we might, we might contrast heaven and hell. As heaven is, hell is this thing that is never, ever, ever satisfied. It's the hamster wheel where heaven is that place where there is enough, where you can stop and rest in peace. Hell is fire. And then finally, it gets to this whole idea of a second death. What is this second death? Okay, it doesn't give us a whole bunch, but I want to throw some things out there. The second death is really non-existence. Okay, so so to to put it in perspective of some of the images that we saw where, you know, we see somebody painting 999 and there's this, this location of hell. What I would, what I think this second death is, is talking about as we hear about the sea being defeated and Hades being defeated and the dead being, being loose. What we are, are actually getting here is this second death is a movement into non-existence. Nothing ceased to exist. One of the, the references to to hell in the Old Testament is this word that you hear a lot in the, in the Psalms called Sheol. 
And Sheol, what it is, is really, it's, it's being kicked out. It's being on the outskirts of town. It's this, this dry barrenness where there is nothing. Nothing seems to exist. One mentor of mine talks about hell as this, this place where the, vo- the only voice that you ever hear is your own. That hell would be the place where if there is existence, there's only one existence, and that existence is you. Last Thursday, as Dan and I were talking about, about this text, we were, were talking about, uh, would you rather exist alone or not exist at all? And we both agreed that, that the despair of this non-existence or you being the only thing that exists would truly be a type of hell that we, we can't imagine, but that would embody what we, what we think hell would be a lot like. It, it is this place that takes away all that is. To give you a picture of this, I want to back up a couple of, of chapters in chapter 18. Of Revelation, this is um, part of of a description of the judgment of Babylon. And what I just want to point out are some of the the phrases that are seen here: that this city will be thrown down, never to be found again, non-existence. The music, the pipers, will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light will never shine in you again. Remember the the video? How dark that was? Hell. Non-existence. You You will never hear. You will be led astray. You see, hell and judgment... Show us a non-existence. Now, this is, this is in deep, deep contrast to some of the things that we hear about in pop culture about hell, right? We hear about songs that say, no, I'd rather go to, you know, go party with the sinners in hell than pray with the saints in heaven. Friends, that's a total misconception. The idea of those who, are, who would find themselves in hell, it's not going to be a party. It's going to be non-existence. It is a second, and I think what the text is alluding to, a second and final death. There is nothing else. In talking about heaven, John Newton, who wrote uh, the very familiar hymn, Amazing Grace, said this. Um, he said that when, he, you know, should he get to heaven, he would f- expect to find three great wonders. The first great wonder would that he would, in heaven, he would see people there who he didn't expect to see there. Second great wonder would be that he wouldn't see people that perhaps he would expect to see there. And the third and greatest wonder of all would be to find himself there. This whole idea of Judgment, to find yourself there, to find yourself existing. I share that to show the antithesis of hell. Hell is a place where it doesn't exist. So what do you need to know? What do you need to know about this? A couple of things and we'll come to this table. First, we need to deal 
with the fact that hell is real. Now, I know that that one of the the first questions that if we're going to acknowledge that, that we all want to ask is, okay, if hell is real, then who goes there? Who goes there? And this is where I would say, that's not for us to determine. Okay, that salvation belongs to our God, as we talked about last week. That's, I, I don't even feel comfortable saying, oh, that person is going to hell. So, so we're not really going to take on that question. But I do, I do want to, uh, to make a suggestion here, okay? Because a question right behind this, is, is hell something I should be scared of? Should you be scared of hell as we talk about this tonight? And the answer to this, this question is really yes and no. Now, the church has a long and storied history uh, about, uh, you know, perhaps talking about hell in order to scare people into heaven. Okay, perhaps you grew up in one of those churches that spent a lot of time talking about hell. You know, why don't we spend a lot more time talking about hell here at the end? Because honestly, while it's mentioned in scripture, it's not a big theme of it. Should you be scared of hell? Yes and no. Yes, because what is hell for? You should be scared of hell because hell is a sign of unspeakable evil. It is the place where evil will be judged and the location of where evil goes. In as much as evil exists, you should be scared of hell because that's what would end up there. Because there is the reality of unspeakable evil in our world, there is a reality of hell. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the slaughter of innocent people. Friends, in our lifetime, that's happened. This week, Sudan had a vote uh, as to if that country will split. Well, that vote came out out of a reality that these people have been killing each other for generations. Unspeakable evil. People are are exploiting those who are defenseless. We have a team of students going to Cambodia this spring break that are going to see and engage a sex trade where there are young women that are exploited. They're defenseless. Friends, that's evil. That's evil. That's the type of evil that I believe hell is for that will be thrown down there. We hear about the effective enslavement and oppression of people who are enslaved and exploited to, to provide for the gain of one individual. Perhaps a gain in wealth. Perhaps a gain in power. That is evil. And I would argue that, that the people who engage in those types of things... This is where we have to talk about the reality that there are people who deny the truth, the love, the grace, the ethic of God. It's been revealed. They know another way. Yet they choose, I will go this way. Yes, hell is something to be afraid of. Because there is such thing as evil, and something has to be done with that evil. 
But on the other hand, no. We do not have to be afraid of hell. Why? Because of the books. Remember the books in our passage? Books, plural. There's, there's these books. And one of them that we're told about is this book that is the book of life. And that is the book that wins. Keep in mind, we don't need to be afraid of hell because hell has no power. Yes, it is a reality. Yes, it is a place of judgment. Yes, people deny God and would end up there. But hell in and of itself has no power. You, my friends, have nothing to fear because of that judge that we met at the beginning of the passage that we read. Because of the book of life. You see, those books books tell us that God does not want you to be there. If there are any of you that are, are coming in here tonight with this perception that God is somehow out to get you, that is a lie. That is not true. God is actually out to rescue you. God is out to save you. You see, hell is is this sign that it exists because there is no room for evil in the kingdom. In God's fulfilled kingdom, he's saying there's no room for that type of exploitation. There's no room for that type of abuse. There's no room for those that deny that love and grace and Jesus are the best way. Friends, that's a grace. That shows us the grace of God. God does not want you to be there. God wants to throw down that which might keep you from being there. That's the reality of hell. It shows us that God is not indifferent about this evil that we read about if, when, we, when we load up our homepage on our computer. And read whatever headlines are there. God is not indifferent about that. God cares deeply about that and says, yes, something will be done. And doesn't it make sense to say that if we know that God cares about that, if he's not indifferent towards evil, I think we can infer that God is not indifferent towards you. Towards any of us. God loves you. He wants you to know his grace. Wants you to know his truth. Wants you to know a place that is wholly different from this second death. He wants to throw down that which would keep you his most beloved. From entering into that place. Friends. Hell reminds us. Of God's grace. And because of that. The invitation is to trust. In that God. Because if we are left to ourselves. We're not going to get there. We cannot save ourselves. You see that's what those books. That we hear about in this passage. Are telling us. Let me, let me put it like this. A few years ago, I hurt my shoulder. 
And after uh, the pain wasn't going away, I went to a doctor, good doctor, doctor that I trusted. And the doctor said, hey, lay off some of the throwing, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign some PT. Well, I laid off the throwing, and I absolutely never went to physical therapy. To this day, my shoulder still, still hurts. Now, I would have told you I trusted that doctor to give me the best advice, to put me on a healing path. Did my actions communicate that I trusted my doctor? No, I tried to take things into my own hands and say, oh, it'll take care of itself. I'll find a way to make it better. If I, just, if I just lay off the throwing most of the time, won't it be better? So often that's the same way that I approach God. Okay, I'll do one of the things that you tell me, but I don't necessarily trust you to help me out with the rest. Effectively, I'm saying, no, I will try and save myself. I will do, I'll take care of this on my own. So where am I at in the book of life? Where is someone like me who will take those decisions into their own hands at when it comes to this book of life? Okay, here's, here's what I want to, here's how I want to talk about this. And I'll confess that this is me doing my best to tell you to, to take these thoughts from Scripture and tell you what, how I think this plays out. And Lord, if, if this is heresy, if, if I'm wrong, Lord, forgive me. I do not mean to mislead. But here's how it plays out in my mind. That on, on that day, on that day of judgment, should I come face to face. I, I, I cannot comprehend what that would be like. But I picture this, this approaching the judge. And I picture these books that we hear about in Revelation 20. And I, I picture this book that, that says, Ryan Charles Church. And there is listed my life. The deeds of my life, both good and bad, as the text said. And I, I, I picture this ledger. And I picture there being those moments where I'm looking at this record of where I didn't trust. Where I failed. I don't, I don't think I'll be able to look the king in the eye. I picture myself there going, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I believe. Help my unbelief. I've, I've wanted to know you. I've wanted to be with you. I just, ah, I've blown it. I fell short. Then I picture the judge bringing this other book. And this book, when, when I think of the book of life, it, for me, it's synonymous of the book of Jesus. And that for all of the ways that I showed a lack of trust, this book of life shows why Jesus can be trusted. And while those record, the record of my life doesn't disappear, the judge begins taking, it's, it's in my mind, this red pen and starts crossing out 
the ways that I fail. In, in writing in how the book of life trumps that. You see, it is Jesus that wins because of the trustworthiness of Jesus. I cannot save myself from hell. The only way for me and for each of us is if Jesus, if Jesus' name is in the book of life. That is what will make the difference. You see, and that is what this table is all about. It is a table that says hell does not win. Hell doesn't have any power. This is a table that I believe says to every single person in this room, your name is in the book of life. I've shed my blood to prove it. Jesus is saying, you can trust me. I died for you. Let's pray as we come to this table. Lord, as your... Lord, as the snow falls outside and covers the ground, Lord, so are we covered by your grace. In our distrust... Lord, in our failures, Lord, in the ways that we can be evil, we confess. Asking for your forgiveness, thanking you for your love, your grace. Um, So, Lord, may we taste and see that you win. That hell does not have the last word, but, Lord, you do. And for that, Lord, we say thank you, for we are grateful. It is on the night that our Lord was betrayed that he took bread. He, gave, he broke it and gave thanks. said, take and eat. This is my body. In the same way, after supper, he took the, cl- the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Do this to remember that death has no sting. That God's grace is sufficient. Friends, he has died for you. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim, we put our trust in the reality that God is interested. That God is not indifferent, but he is interested and he can trump evil. Uh, So tonight you are invited to this table because your name is in the book of life. If you have have not yet come to a place where you believe that, I challenge you to believe tonight, to accept this gift, to live a life of trust in the one who is trustworthy. Why not tonight? Has Jesus won your respect? For this is a table that is open to all who have put their weight down on the love, the grace of Jesus Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come and eat. There will be stations around the room. The way that we serve communion here at the inn is to break off a piece of bread and, uh, and first and then dip it in the cup. 
Um, feel free to come as you feel led. Um, and feel free to use this as a time of reflection. There will also be people in the back uh, that would love to pray with you uh, as well. Table is set. Come and eat.